I just want to congratulate you. The first Sunday of February, you're still in church. Come on, just give yourself a, a, a hand clap of, of congratulations this morning. Uh, statistics say that at Planet Fitness, 82% of new Planet Fitness members in January stop going by February. And it's like, it's kind of funny and it's kind of sad. But I don't want to be a Christian who starts the year strong. I want to be a Christian who finishes the year strong. I want to be somebody who at the end of this year, I'm still in godly community. I'm still in my Bible. I'm still in my prayer closet. I'm falling more in love with Jesus, not less in love with Jesus. Come on. I'm so grateful that you're at church. This is a great place to start the week. Uh, we're, we got a bunch of way groups that are happening throughout the week. One of the way groups has called themselves Halftime, which I love that. It's like right in the middle of the week. This is halftime. Let's make some adjustments. Let's make sure we're going. But this is the start of the week. And you are starting the week off in the best way that you could by worshiping Jesus. And uh, we're so excited that you're here. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Noah. I serve as the lead pastor here. I'm having the time of my life with my favorite people on planet earth. And uh, we're truly honored that you would spend Sunday morning with us. And you joined us at a great time because we are in the middle of a series called From Talk to Walk, where we are going through the entire book of James from the first Sunday of January all the way until Easter. Now, that is a long time to be in one book of the Bible. So maybe you're like, why would you spend that amount of time in one book of the Bible? Our goal of this series is to go deeper. One of my favorite authors, a man named Richard Foster, one of the most incredibly brilliant Christian authors of all time, he wrote this one time. He said, our world is not in need of more talented people. It's not in need of more gifted people. Our world is in need of deeper people. And so at Way Church, we want to go deeper to start the new year. We want to go deeper into God's word. A lot of times when the pressure of life gets turned up, the deepest parts of you are what come out. When things don't go to plan, it's the deepest parts of you that come out. I don't know about you, but in 2024, when things don't go to plan, when I face disappointment, when I face trials, I want the word of God to come out of me. I want the word of God to be not something that I even have to think about. I just want it to be a reflex, just something that naturally comes up out of me because I've spent time rooted in God's word. And so that's our goal. We're going to be in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Last week, Grant Skeldon did an absolutely incredible incredible job breaking down James 2, 1 through 13. Anybody thankful for the message that came from, from Grant last week? So encouraging. And uh, I'm going to attempt to pick up where he left off. Uh, as you're turning to James chapter 2, uh, James is written by a guy named James, believe it or not. Uh, James was the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. And James has this really cool story. Uh, the cool story is that he actually didn't believe that Jesus was God because it's a little difficult to believe your brother when he starts telling people that he's God. Come on, like, would any of you believe that? Uh, definitely not. Don't raise your hand if you're sitting next to your brother right now. Uh, you definitely wouldn't believe that, right? But then something happens. Jesus dies. He's put in a grave for three days. And on the third day, he walks out of that grave. And James is like, okay, I guess he was right. Uh, I, I guess he is God. And so he starts following Jesus. And he doesn't just follow Jesus. He goes all in. 
James literally becomes one of the early church leaders, one of the four church leaders in the book of Acts. He actually lays down his life for the cause of the gospel. His last words being prayers for people who don't know Jesus who are killing him. I mean, this guy is all in. Uh, Something else you need to know about James is he is a no-nonsense kind of a guy. I call him the blue-collar scholar. Because this guy is smart, all right? He's a smart dude. When, when you read his words, you're like, okay, this guy, he, he's got something going on uh, in the mental, okay? This dude is smart. Like, like, he knows what he's talking about. But he also is a doer. He's a doer. He doesn't want to just talk about it. He wants us to walk it out, which is where we get the title of our series from Talk to Walk, because James is urging us as followers of Jesus to action, to action, And today, the passage that we're going to read, he throws down the gauntlet. All right, today you came for the most famous words from the letter of James in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. These words have been debated, these words are controversial, and these words will get up in your grill, okay? And so I'm really excited to break it down. We're going to start in verse 14. This is what it says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if somebody claims to have faith but has no deeds. Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied, I can't say that word, I'm just, if faith does not come with action, It's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. I I love this right here. I'm just going to pause because I don't know if you noticed, but um, James is like making a point, and then he just throws in a, but someone will say, uh, I just read this, I just started getting tickled. I was like, there was someone in James's church that he was thinking about, and he was like, but someone, but he was thinking about Billy. He knew their name, but he put someone because he's a nice guy. Uh, Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Okay, we're going to pause right here. We're going to to read some more of this passage in just a second. But we we read the culmination of James' letter uh, just a second ago. And it's this. It's that faith without works is dead. That is the climax of the letter of James. In fact, this little tiny sentence has been argued about, has, has been uh, stressed over. I mean, this one sentence caused so much uh, issue in the early church because there were so many conflicting ideas about salvation. I mean, I read that scripture, faith without works is dead, and I immediately feel my internal legalists start to bubble to the surface. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I read that, and I'm like, what do I need to do? Maybe you heard us read that faith without works is dead, and and you're like, okay, Pastor Noah, hit me with the list. Tell me what I got to do. Do I need to start waking up at 5 a.m.? Do I need to learn to play the harp? How many essential oils need to be going in my house at one time? Just tell me right now, right? Like, like you read that and there's like something that, that stirs up in you and you're like, I need to be doing more because if faith without works is dead, then I got to make sure I got the right works. Just, just give me the list. Now, this is confusing 
Because many of us, when we accepted Christ, it was, it was in response to some sort of message that said that we, are, we can come into relationship with Jesus by faith alone, right? You've heard this before. Actually, Paul, uh, one of the, the writers of the New Testament, he literally says it is by faith alone that we are saved. And so we know that it's our belief in Jesus that leads to our salvation, right? We know that. That's true. It's our belief in Jesus, but then we read the words of James, and we start this equation over, and it's almost like we add a plus sign to Jesus. We go, Jesus plus works leads to salvation. And maybe we never say that out loud, but we start organizing our life not from the approval of God, but for the approval of God. And we start going, you know what, I, I believe in Jesus, but I also think I need to help him out because I need to do some works to show Jesus that I'm worth it, Right? But this is not what James is saying. This is not what James is encouraging at all. We, we have to really take a breath and we have to understand the context of what is happening here, okay? Uh, James is practicing the ancient art, catch this, of biblical clickbait. You thought the news app on your phone was the only people that knew how to do clickbait, okay? James is trying to grab the reader's attention. Here's a little backstory on how, uh, how the Bible and, and how the word of God spread in the early church. There was this thing called the Great Council. You can read all about the Great Council in Acts chapter 15. Really, really intriguing stuff. But basically, there was this council of people, uh, four to be exact. There was Peter. There was Paul, there, there was a, a man named John, and then there was this guy that we're talking about, James, who would get together with another larger group of believers, and they would argue and they would talk about what they were going to allow to be taught in the early church. They would try to focus on the words of Jesus. They would try to focus on the Torah. They would try to bring it all together and decide, how are we going to teach God's word to people? Okay, and so Paul and James are not competing with one another, they're complementing one another. Paul's saying that it's, it's by faith alone, and James saying faith without works is dead is not something that's going against each other. James was simply trying to make a point by grabbing their attention. Here's the point that James was trying to make. He was saying that works are not how you get saved. He was saying that works are the proof that you are saved. This was the whole point. And he knew that he could only make this point by grabbing their attention. Because this, this early church had, had the same problem, honestly, that we have 2,000 years ago, which was there were a bunch of people who were saying, I love Jesus, but their life looked nothing like Jesus. And so he's grabbing their attention and he's saying, your faith is dead because there's no proof in the pudding. He's saying, there's nothing about you that looks like Jesus other than the words that come out of your mouth on a Sunday morning. He's saying, faith without works is dead. If you were following Jesus, your life would look like Jesus. And so what we have to understand is that Jesus plus salvation, or Jesus plus works, does not equal salvation. This is the wrong formula. A much better formula for us to live our lives by is that belief in Jesus leads to salvation, which leads to works. This order matters. I have seen so many people think, if I just pursue works as my goal, this will not only lead to my salvation, but this will lead to me looking more like Jesus. That is a lie. If you pursue works, you will not live as a son or daughter of God. You will live as an employee of God. 
And eventually you will burn out and you will not look more and more like Jesus. You will look less and less like Jesus. And deeper than that, you will not fall more in love with Jesus. You will fall less in love with Jesus because your relationship will be a burden and not a blessing. James was urging them that it's a relationship with Jesus first, that it is, it is the, the thing that leads to our salvation, and eventually it leads to our works. James was addressing a group of people who claimed to know Jesus, but did not care if they looked like him. Claimed to follow Jesus, but not doing it with their actions. Someone who claims to be a Christian but does not slowly but surely look more and more like Jesus, James would call that a fake faith. He would actually take it as far as to say that, that this is not a genuine saving kind of faith. And I would, I would say that Jesus illustrated the same thing. In fact, there was one day when Jesus was walking around and he decided, uh, I really am craving a fig. All right, not my first fruit that I would crave uh, particularly, but J Jesus wanted to eat a fig. And so he goes to get a fig, not from Publix, but from a fig tree. And he walks over to a fig tree, only this fig tree had no fruit on it. You know what Jesus does? He takes it from zero to 100 real quick. He goes, oh, there's no fig. And then he curses the tree. This Jesus that, that we've like made out to be this, this God who, who like, you know, speaks with an English accent and like only says yes ma'am and, and no sir. And he's like very like just always like kind and, and cautious. No, he curses this tree because it doesn't have any fruit. That shouldn't just make trees scared. That should make people who say I love Jesus but have no desire to follow Jesus nervous. This is what James is getting at. He's saying if you claim to follow Jesus that there needs to be fruit that's coming from your life. Okay, I'm just going to go all the way there. I wasn't going to say this, but I'm just going to do it. My, my grandpa, he used to, uh, my grandpa was a pastor for 60 years, uh, one of the best preachers I've ever heard. And what he would do is he would get to a point in the message when uh, he was debating, like saying something that might step on people's toes. And right before he would say it, he'd go, everybody who loves pastor, raise your hands right now. And everybody would raise their hand and then boom, sucker punch them. All right, so if you love me, just raise your hand. I'm not going to look. If you don't raise your hand, I'm not going to look. I don't want to know who didn't. All right. Um, but here's the truth. Pursuing holiness does not make you a Pharisee. Pursuing holiness does not make you a legalist. Pursuing holiness makes you like Jesus. First Peter 1:16. be holy as I am holy. But again, the order matters. We don't pursue holiness in order to be saved. We pursue holiness because we've already been saved. The natural response to the gift of the blood of Jesus, the natural response to the grace of God is to go, I have got to follow that man. And as you follow that man named Jesus, you start to talk like him. You start to walk like him. You start to do the things that he did and you're not even thinking about doing them because you're just focused on being with Jesus. I am convinced our world does not need more talking and more dialogue about the power of Jesus. I'm convinced our world needs a demonstration of the power of Jesus, which happens when we take up our cross and we follow Jesus out of the place of relationship first. Amen. This is what James is urging the early church to do. Let's keep reading. Verse 20, you foolish person, do you want, I mean, wow, I mean, let's just, 
wow, you know how many emails you would get? I mean, you would get so many emails if you, you know, started a, a letter like this in 2024 as a pastor. My guy just, you foolish person. That is like the most New Testament diss I have ever heard. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead too. Last week, uh, Grant Skelton beautifully said that our problem that we were addressing in the scripture last week was partiality. Remember that? Talked about show no partiality. He said the problem is partiality, but the solution is intentionality. And I loved how he just put that so plainly, so I'm going to steal that format. Um, The problem today that we're looking at is a lack of works. That's our problem, a lack of works. The solution to that problem is really simple, falling more in love with Jesus. That's it. The, The solution to a lack of works in our life is not trying to do more works. It's by falling in love with Jesus. That's the solution. That's the solution because when you love someone, you do what they do. I fell in love with a girl named Maddie about six years ago. She's sitting up here on the front row. And uh, if you've never met Maddie, you may have met her and didn't know it. Um, Has anybody ever seen the movie Sweet Home Alabama? Anybody? No one's seen that. Okay. Uh, the, the main female role in that movie is played by uh, an actress named Reese Witherspoon. And that character in Sweet Home Alabama is literally my wife. I fell head over heels for her. Like this sweet southern girl who's also kind of gangster and will cut you. Like that, like that is my girl right there. All right, like the most like Jesus person that I know, but Jesus cursed the fig tree, all right? So my girl, she got a little, you know, like she'll, she'll duke it out with you, okay? And, and I just, I fell in love with her, like everything about her. I remember we were on our first date and she started talking. And I was like, man, your accent sounds like it should come with a side of mashed potatoes and gravy. Like, this is amazing. Like I just, I just fell in love with her. And, and over time, the craziest thing happened. As, as our relationship started to grow, this girl started getting me to do things that I never thought I would do, okay? I, I never in a million years thought that I would be a farmer's market frequenter. <laughs> never in a million years pictured giving up my Saturday of college football to go look at beets and orange juice at the Franklin Farmer's Market, okay? Never in a million years, all right? I just, I just started doing it. Uh, I have learned more dance moves in our living room to random TikTok challenges than I could count, okay? 2020 was a dark year for your boy, all right? 
I got in a helicopter one time, all because she wanted to see what Hawaii would look like from the sky. And I don't know if you've ever been in a helicopter, but man, that is not a fun time, okay? It is very sketchy, highly don't suggest it. Um, I learned to fold clothes a certain way she likes. All right, this next one is very vulnerable, all right? There's a lot of trust that's about to happen here. Uh, I've gotten two pedicures. It's just a confession time right now, all right? Some of you are never coming back because of that, and I just, I'm very sad, um, honestly, disappointed. But I, you know, I never thought that I would do some of the things that I've done because of my love for Maddie. But when you love somebody, you do the things that they want to do with them. This is what happens. When you truly fall in love with someone, you love doing what they want to do with them. And things that used to feel like work start to feel like delight. Things that used to require great intentionality no longer require that at all. It's easy for you to do it. Sometimes not because you feel like it, but simply because you love the person that asked you to do it. I see people get this twisted all the time. Best way I know how to illustrate this is by telling you another story, okay? Don't email me saying I, I had too many stories this week. Jesus used stories, okay? Um, when we first moved to Nashville, we, uh, we wanted an, a nice yard for our kids, and our yard was like a mud pit in, in the backyard, and so we bought uh, some sod to put down. Uh, sod is Home Depot language for green grass, and so we put some green grass down in the backyard, and our yard looked amazing for like four months. The problem was that our neighbor's yard did not look amazing. He did not care about green grass for his kids, and his grass had these, these things called uh, purple violets in them. Uh, uh, sorry, not pur that's the same word. Uh, violet flowers, that's what it's called, not purple violets. Violet flowers, and uh, violet flowers... This is, uh, this is Home Depot language for weeds that kill green grass, okay? And so his weeds start getting into our yard, and I was getting so stressed. I mean, Maddie could tell you, I was just so upset by the way our yard started looking. And so I took one Saturday, I, I probably spent five hours in our yard just pulling up weeds. I mean, I was getting rid of every single one of those purple flowers. And a couple days later, I went outside to kick the soccer ball around with our son, and I walked back out. And all those uh, violet flowers had showed back up with their violet flower friends. There were more. And I was like, man, what in the world? And so I called my brother-in-law because my brother-in-law has you know, luscious green grass in his yard. I've never seen any weeds in his yard. And I was like, hey, man, I've got a problem. And I began to explain it. And he said, dude, you're doing it the wrong way. You got to go and you got you to get some pesticide and you got to get some fertilizer. And you just got to start taking care of that grass and getting the right things in to the grass if you want the right things out of the grass. And I think what happens is we start to follow Jesus and very quickly we get tempted to believe that the best way to look like Jesus is to pull up all the weeds out of our yard. I'm just... I, I got to get this bad behavior out. I got to get this old habit out. I got to start looking like the Christians that I know. I got to start acting and talking like the Christians that I know. And we base our whole relationship with God on getting all the bad stuff out. And if that's what you've been doing, you probably feel really tired. You probably feel really discouraged. And I want to say it's amazing that you want the bad stuff out, but there's a much more effective strategy of following Jesus, and it's simply getting the good stuff in. I just 
just need more of the presence of God. I just need more time in prayer. I just need a little bit more time in godly community. And all of a sudden, people will look at you and they'll be like, man, why do you not get drunk anymore? Man, why do you not talk the way you used to talk? Why do you not spend time the way you used to spend time? And your answer won't be anything about a habit. It won't be anything about a discipline. It'll be all about the fact that you fell in love with somebody who is more beautiful than your old behavior. You fell in love with somebody who is more beautiful than the sin that used to entangle you. You fell in love with a man named Jesus who, as the woman caught in the act of adultery said, told me everything that I ever knew about me and chose to love me anyways. Come on, he's a beautiful God. This is the solution to a lack of works. Fall in love with the beauty of Christ. Now, I read this scripture probably 20 times on an airplane yesterday. I was flying back. I was preaching in Minnesota uh, Friday night and was flying back yesterday morning trying to finish this message. And uh, the part of the message that I just couldn't figure out had all of this. And I rewrote this last part like five or six times because James confused me in this passage of scripture. I'm like, I'm tracking with you, James. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Just, you know, I'm following, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm following your thoughts. I, I feel like I understand what you're saying. It's, it's not how we're saved. It's the proof of why we're saved. But then James completely throw, throws me off because he, he mentions this guy named Abraham. Did you catch that? mentions this guy named Abraham. And if you're not familiar with the story of Abraham, I'm just going to paraphrase it for you for, for just a second. Uh, because I had to do this on the airplane to try to think why would James just throw this guy named Abraham, who'd been dead for hundreds of years, into this story or into this sermon on works. So Abraham was a guy who'd seen a lot of amazing things in his life. He reached the end of his life. He'd seen some, some pretty awesome stuff. He'd, he'd gone through some hard stuff. Uh, he was trying to follow God to the best of his ability. But Abraham had an extreme disappointment. His extreme disappointment was that he and his wife, Sarah, had been hoping for a child their entire life. And they get to about 80 years old, and they still have no child. And God comes to them in their disappointment and speaks to them and says, I am going to make you a father of many nations basically promises Abraham and his wife, Sarah, that they're going to have lots of kids. Okay, they're 80 years old. Did I say that? 80 years old. And so they start believing for it, and eventually the day comes, they miraculously get pregnant with a child that they, that they have a son named Isaac. Isaac's born, and Abraham and Isaac, you know, by all accounts, they have a, a great relationship. I, you know, Abraham raises Isaac and spends time with Isaac. It's his dream come true. He's finally a dad, and Sarah's finally a mom. And sometime around Isaac's 12th to 18th birthday, God comes back to Abraham and makes a really weird ask. He says, I, uh, he says Abraham, I want Isaac back. And Abraham's confused. And God says, I want you to prove your love to me by sacrificing Isaac. Now, 2024, we're like, whoa. But thousands of years ago, the earliest followers of God, what they would do is they would make literal animal sacrifices. They would sacrifice a pigeon or a goat or a dove or a cow 
for two different reasons. The first reason was to pay for their sin because the only way to be in relationship with the holy God was to pay for your sin and to make one of these sacrifices. The second reason why people would do this was an act of, of worship. So like, I'm not asking for forgiveness of a sin, but, but I am going to, to pursue you by worshiping you, by, by making this, this pleasing sacrifice to you. And so the art of sacrificing was not abnormal. What was abnormal was that God would ask for a human sacrifice. This was what was weird. And Abraham, he's lived his whole life seeing the faithfulness of God, seeing God do things that only God could get the credit for. And now God is coming and he's asking for his son. And I've read this story so many times, but like it's different now as a dad. Like I just think about Abraham in his obedience. He, he, he walks up this mountain. And, and I've thought about the walk so many times. He's walking up the mountain with his son and two of his servants, walking up this mountain, thinking that he's about to sacrifice his son because God asked him to do it. First of all, what a crazy amount of obedience this man had. But more than that, I think about the anger that he must have felt. I think, I think about the anguish that he must have felt, I think about the heartbreak that he must, must have felt. And he walks up to the top of this mountain and he starts preparing the altar. And his son Isaac is like, where's the sacrifice, dad? Which couldn't have helped. And he starts preparing the sacrifice. And I mean, he's like, it's like the moment to sacrifice his son. And he hears a noise out of the corner of his eyes. And he looks over and right there in the bush, there's a ram that is stuck in the bushes. And at that exact moment, an angel of the Lord comes and says that, that God is pleased with Abraham, that he sees that Abraham was not just talking about it, but he was walking it out. And he, and he says that you don't have to kill Isaac anymore because God has provided a ram. And it's this, you know, this moment of, I mean, I can't even imagine, I would just be bawling. I would be, I, I'd be on the ground weeping. And they take this ram and they sacrifice this ram as the offering to the Lord. And, and Abraham walks back down the mountain with his son, Isaac. And that day, Abraham names that mountain God provides. And I'm reading this on the plane and I'm like, why would James choose to conclude a portion of a letter about works with this story? Makes no sense. Why would James do this? James did this because a few hundred years later, on the same mountain, God would provide another sacrifice known as the Lamb of God. I read it and I was like, oh man, I get it. James is driving home the point that your works are not enough. That, that your desire to get up the mountain and pay for your own sin is not enough. That I am Isaac in the story. I am Isaac. I should have died. I should have lost my life. And at the last moment, over in the thicket, the Lamb of God shows up as Jesus Christ. He walks this earth as 33 years with no sin, with no blemish on his resume. And he lays himself out on a cross and dies for your sin and for my sin. Abraham didn't have have to sacrifice his son because God sacrificed his you and I don't have to die 
because Jesus died for us. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the reminder that James is giving us in James chapter two. It's that the, the way to get to heaven is not based off your resume. It's based off Christ's resume. It's because of the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice and payment for our sins. You know, even until recently, I looked at my salvation as, as this like, get out of jail free card. That's not the gospel. This is a better picture of the gospel. Imagine you had a $20 million debt, enough money that if you had 20 lifetimes, you couldn't pay it off. Imagine that was the debt. And someone said, if you don't pay this debt off by tomorrow, we're gonna kill you. I thought that the gospel was the bank president calling me and saying, we've forgiven you of $20 million. That is not the gospel. That is a cheap gospel. The true gospel is the bank president calling you and saying, we've forgiven you of the debt. But guess what else? I'm signing over all of my assets to you. I'm giving you everything that I have. I'm giving you everything that I own. It's yours. You don't have to wait till I leave. You can inherit it right now. The gospel is that you didn't just get what you didn't deserve. You got what you didn't deserve from Jesus Christ himself. You're a son. You're a daughter. It's not about getting into heaven. It's about heaven getting into you. This is what James is saying. He's saying that all of this, all of the works that you need, all of the things that we're hoping to accomplish in this life as followers of Jesus, it comes from this one moment where Jesus spilled out his blood for you only by the blood of Jesus. Are we saved? Are we forgiven? And do we get to walk as sons and daughters of God? Will you close your eyes? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I think that right now would be the greatest moment for you to accept him if you feel led to. We've had 131 people make this decision in the last four and a half months, and we would love to make it 132. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you, and he desperately wants a relationship with you. If that's you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you'd like one, we you just slip up your hand so I know who we're praying with? And just slip it up. No one else is looking. I'd like to do one more thing. If you're here, and the stuff I said about the fig tree kind of messed you up, and you're like, man, do I have fruit in my life? I just want to pray a prayer over you that you would simply fall more in love with Jesus. If that's you, will you slip up your hand so I know who I'm praying with? It's amazing. It's amazing. God, I pray for every single person that just responded to that. There were hands all over this room. God, I pray that your word would do what it was intended to do. Not to scare us, but to allow us to fall more in love with you, with your beauty, with your goodness, with your grace. God, first off, we, we just repent of any sin that we have in our life right now. We just give it to you. We just say, forgive us, Lord, for making our life about the wrong things. But God, we don't wanna keep running in circles and we don't wanna worry about 
fruit or any of these things. And so what we do right now is we just fix our eyes on you. We're reminded of your grace and your goodness and your perfection. We're reminded of how far you went in order to have a relationship with us. We're reminded that you're compassionate and you're holy and you're righteous and you're beautiful and lovely. God, we're reminded of that right now. And so God, we just pray that this week would be a week where we fall more in love with you than the things that we keep running to. That we would see you as more beautiful with each passing day. That we would see you as more beautiful than the things that keep drawing us back in. God, that our life would be a testament to your presence inside of us, God. That fruit and works would just naturally explode out of our lives, not because they were our goal, but simply because you are our goal. God, you are our goal. That's our prayer right now. You, God, are our goal. You're the point. You're our prize. You're our desire. You are the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. And so in every season of life, God, we say that you are our goal. You are the point. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.